The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is way Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Let's get back into Strategy Week, this time talking salary cap drafts. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Thursday, March 16th. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Today on the show, we will be talking strategy for salary cap leagues, also known as auctions. I have some ADP risers and fallers in the month of March. The latest news, I mean... This podcast is going to take kind of a weird turn because the WBC game just ended between Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic, and it was a really fun game, except for what happened after the game, a major injury. So we'll talk about that as well. Thanks, as always, to those watching us live. Please like this video and subscribe. Tap that little bell to get notified every time we go live. And if you're listening on the podcast side, make sure to download, follow, and leave a five-star review. We really appreciate it. If you missed any of our recent shows, remember that you can always go back and listen on demand. Just yesterday, we did a live head-to-head categories mock draft. This weekend, we'll have position preview updates and another mailbag. You'll especially want to listen tomorrow as I'll announce the podcast Listener League participants. As always... I was floored by the amount of emails we received, the creativity, the thoughtfulness. I went through every single one of these emails. It basically took up my entire Wednesday, if I'm being honest. Uh, Narrowed it down to 40. So that's where we're at. I'm going to cut that number basically in half, uh, and I will announce the winners. Tomorrow was very tough, uh, but thanks as always for your support. Let's get into the unfortunate news, kind of breaking news coming here just after this game between Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic. Edwin Diaz appeared to suffer a right leg injury, could not put any weight on his leg, left in a wheelchair, scary, somber scene, his teammates were crying, his brother was crying. Chris, I mean, initial reactions, we don't know what the diagnosis is yet, but it seems like 
it's going to be a pretty serious injury for Edwin Diaz. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so hard to know in the immediate aftermath of an injury, especially in this instance, like, there's not really any video of it. There, there's like, it happened while he was celebrating the, the final out of the game with his teammates and the camera kind of cuts away. And I don't know, we would just kind of see the aftermath where he he's trying to put weight on it. He can't, his legs just kind of dangling and they end up bringing out a wheelchair to bring him off. So yeah, I mean, it, it certainly felt serious. It was a weird, weird scene just going from this really raucous celebration to everybody on both sides, you know. Well, you say raucous celebration, but it, it was actually pretty subdued. Like they were doing the... Yeah, they were just you know, jumping. They weren't piling on top of each other. They were just yeah. doing the little like half-hearted hop. Arm, yeah, arms, wasn't, locked, arms around shoulders hopping in a circle together. Yeah, you know? it wasn't even like, you know, like... I don't know if you guys remember Kendrick Morales uh, when he bro- was Kendrick Morales broke his leg jumping on home plate after yep. a game. Chris Coglin, uh, I want to say tore his ACL or, or meniscus celebrating a walk off. Uh, it didn't really look. I don't know. It was it was a weird thing. It just seems like a total fluke. And obviously, hopefully, we 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 hope it's nothing serious. But it it certainly looked serious. Um, you know, the fact that he had to be wheelchaired off the game, uh, off the field will, you know, I've got my, my Twitter notifications set up for, you know, the big reporter. So if anything comes in, we'll, we'll talk about it on the show, but yeah, it's uh really frustrating, really just, uh, what a, what a crappy way to end a really, really exciting, fun baseball game that, uh, that sucks. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, there's there's a chance by the time most people are listening to this in the morning, uh, more will be out there. Yeah. Of course, my initial reaction, um, you know, I I think it's probably going to be a long term injury. I think we're going to be talking about Adam Ottavino as a replacement, or if not mm-hmm. Adam Ottavino, they have David Robertson, who of course has a lot of closing experience, uh, and and they may just say. Uh, the Mets may just say, well, whatever, we'll go by committee and um, just let it work itself out the way so many teams do since there isn't like a, an obvious closer and waiting there. But yeah. my initial reaction, if we're talking replacements for Edwin Diaz, would be to target Adam Ottavino, who yeah. there, were, there were a few times in the second half last year, Diaz actually worked the eighth and Ottavino the ninth. So it seems like Buck Showalter has a fair amount of confidence in him. Yeah, I um, it's kind of funny. Adam Ottavino and David Robertson have like identical numbers the last like four seasons. They were both really, really good in 2019, terrible in 2020 and 2021, and then really, really good in 2022. So it's not like you can just point to to one of them and, and say the track record clearly favors one. I, I I think I'm with Scott that Adam Ottavino would be the guy I would go with. Um, he's got a you know, at least last year he had better control, which I think, you know, tends to make managers feel a little more at ease, but yeah, I'll, uh, you know, obviously we'll, we'll wait to see what comes out of it, but my lean would be Adam Ottavino who I was targeting. You know, I, I think I got him yesterday in the, in the head to head categories draft that we did. Um, just as someone who could give you strikeouts and good ratios if you're building a team that way. He had closer caliber numbers last year, at least yep. 206 ERA, 0.98 whip, 10.8 K per nine. 
but the overall track record is pretty inconsistent. Yes. He he was a late career breakout. Right? He took a big step forward with uh, you know, the development of his slider when he was with the was it with the the Rockies or the Yankees when he took the big step forward. But I think he's it, definitely someone who's been better late in his career. I think it was the Rockies where Adam Adovino really broke out and then the Yankees signed him after that. I'm pretty torn on this one because Adovino obviously has some experience with the Mets and Buck Walter used him a little bit last year uh, down the stretch in that role. And, but David Robertson has much more experience just in general yeah. as a closer. So yeah. I'm, I'm kind of torn right now. I would actually probably lean with David Robertson, but I could see it going either way. I could see it being a committee like you guys mentioned. So yeah, uh, as it, we it, learn- it would, it, it would feel a lot like the Philly situation, I would say where, Fair. okay, Kimbrell, you know, he's, there's a question whether or not he's even good, but he has closing experience. So is he the one to target or do you go with Sir Anthony Dominguez? who has been better recently, it, it would it would kind of probably, unless, unless the Mets outright said, oh, this is our replacement for Edwin Diaz. Yeah. It would be that same sort of um, exercise where you're being pulled in two different directions. Yeah, just a brutal blow for Edwin Diaz and for Mets fans. I mean, genuinely feel bad for Mets fans. They re-signed Diaz this offseason, got paid a bunch of money. So as we learn more, we will... Uh, fill you in and let you know what's going on with the Edwin Diaz situation. There was another much less serious injury in the WBC just a couple of days ago. Freddie Freeman left his game on Tuesday with a with hamstring tightness. The Dodgers say that they're not concerned about opening day. Are either of you two worried about Freddie Freeman? We're about we're exactly two weeks away from opening day. I mean, all indications are it's a minor thing and he'll be fine. So I I don't have any reason to disbelieve that at this point. All right. Carlos Rodon's rehab from the forearm strain is apparently going well, and he could miss just two to three starts if he doesn't have any setbacks. Key words there. If he does not have any setbacks. So we yeah. just don't know for sure. Chris, the ADP on Rodon since last Friday. The news came out on Thursday. So from Friday on, his ADP is 98.4, just behind Tristan McKenzie and Robbie Ray. Kind of feels like the right range. Yeah, clearly everybody's just drafting off of my rankings because I think that's <laughs> pretty much exactly where I moved him. 95th was where I moved him in my initial reaction when you and I talked about it on the pod and uh, feel no need to move him up or down from that point. But, you know, it, this is a tough one because it's like if everything goes right, but he's a pitcher, throws 98 miles an hour, Everything rarely goes right for pitchers. That's kind of the whole thing. So it's like, it's not just a question of can he get back after missing, you know, 10 days of the regular season. It's can he then avoid injuries moving forward? He clearly carries more injury risk than Robbie Ray and Tristan McKenzie, who's being drafted around. He also has much more upside than either of those two guys, in my opinion. So it's a fine area for him to be drafted. If you take him off your draft board, I understand that, but uh, I, I think he's worth the gamble there. Scott, we had a bunch of prospects sent down, and not just prospects, you know, formerly Major League players. Ian Anderson and Bryce Elder, both optioned by the Braves, meaning that Jared Schuster and Dylan Dodd will battle for the final rotation spot. And both had really good numbers in the minors last year. Schuster pitched 10 games at AAA, uh, much more than that overall, but he did get up to AAA. Dodd, uh, 142 innings in the minors last year, one start at AAA. But it seems like both are ready, and honestly, both of their numbers were really good last season in the minors too. Yeah, so I, I know less about Dodd Schuster, as I think you said, was the Braves' first-round pick in the draft a couple years ago, and he's kind of more of a um, 
crafty lefty, I would say, doesn't throw especially hard, has a really good changeup, has a slider that's come around recently to kind of round out his arsenal. So it's those, those types of pitchers can sometimes be underrated as prospects and, and then go on to be very effective major league pitchers or their you know, kind of middling stuff ends up playing is kind of middling. It's just hard to tell. I think I'm more excited about Dodd, actually. I've seen a lot of people in, in, in deeper leagues I'm in w- with this news go for Schuster, and, and maybe it'll be Schuster. But I was looking at Dodd's numbers, and I need to read up more on him. Uh, 24 years old was their third-round pick two years ago. And uh, after arriving at A last year, started at high A, but after arriving at A. Had a 3.23 ERA, 62 strikeouts in 53 innings, a 69% strike rate, which is about as good as it gets, and a 16% swinging strike rate, which also it doesn't get much better than that. So, um, I, uh, you know, the, the fact that he has that like premium control and still the potential to miss bats at that rate, at least in the minor league ranks, and so far spring has been just as impressive. I'm definitely going to take a closer look at this Dylan Dodd character, and uh, maybe uh, maybe he'll be the one to get the shot as Accor- the fifth starter. According to MLB Pipeline, they have his control as his best tool, 60 grade with the slider and changeup at 55. So. Potentially two solid secondary offerings to go along with really good control. That is Dylan Dodd competing for the fifth starter job with the Atlanta Braves. A couple other prospects just worth mentioning, getting sent back down to the minors. And Manuel Valdez was actually having a good spring training. I thought he had a chance to make the team. Uh, That's with the Red Sox. Andy Rodriguez with the Pirates. Edward Julian, soon my friend, soon, with the Minnesota Twins. Connor Norby, Jackson Holiday, Joey Ortiz with the Orioles. And then Ellie De La Cruz. Matt McClain. And Christian Encarnacion Strand with the Reds, which mm-hmm. uh, you hate to see it, obviously, from a fantasy perspective. I get it from a real-life Reds perspective. He hasn't played a AAA yet. He's a little bit older at 23 years old, but I get it for them. It just kind of sucks for fantasy guys. Yeah, I kind of had that feeling once I saw Vado was back to playing in games yeah. with you know still a couple more weeks to go in spring training. That was, that was always Encarnacion Strand's path is filling in for Vado. Uh, But as I mentioned during our mock draft, the fact that we saw these um, like Ian Anderson and Christian Encarnacion Strand getting optioned on Tuesday, I mean, clearly this was some kind of you have to get your roster down situation across the league. And yet the Yankees didn't do that with Anthony Volpe. They're keeping him around. And he had another big game on Wednesday, reached base three times, stole another base, had a couple really nice plays at shortstop. It seemed like a long shot coming in that he could push Oswald Peraza for that role, but he has been the one getting all of the headlines this spring. And Peraza hasn't done much. I know he hit a home run on Tuesday night, but he's you know batting 200 or whatever so far in the spring. We like both guys long-term, but I just kind of wonder what is the playing and, time going to be like this season for redraft leagues? And Volpe's the the much better prospect. Peraza's considered a decent prospect, but Volpe is a you know, yep. borderline top 
10 guy right. across baseball. So I don't want to top undersell 10 versus top 50. Yeah. Yeah. Top, so, yeah, top 50 no, is still saying, really good. Yeah. I'm not saying Peraza's, but like he's a little older, I'm pretty sure. And, and he's just not viewed as a, you know, the potential impact guy that Volpe could be. So it's, it's probably a situation where like if they're both on similar timetables, you know, you could look at it both ways, right? You could look at it and say, well, you know, the, the way that the, uh, I think the Rays did this with Taylor Walls instead of, uh, I can't even remember. Wander the, Franco. Wander Franco, yeah, where they called up Taylor Walls and it was like, why are they calling up a shortstop prospect who isn't Wander Franco? And it's like, well, you know, you could see like, let's see what this guy can do. Maybe we catch lightning a bottle. We don't have to call up Wander Franco yet, but you could also just look at it and say, well, if they're on the same timetable, just call up the better player. And Anthony Volpe is probably the better player, so... You know, I could see it being that way. And then the fact that he's having a much better spring might just uh, might just lock it up for him. No, Volpe is definitely someone who uh, has gone from fringe consideration in drafts early in the spring to someone who I think in in even your 12 team leagues probably needs to be drafted. I moved him ahead of Peraza himself, who I'd Mm -hmm. been talking up as a sleeper. Now I'd just straight up rather take Volpe. All right. Well, let's take an early break here on Fantasy Baseball today. When we get back, we'll talk salary cap draft strategy right after this. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Salary cap draft strategy, to be totally honest, we can do an entire week's worth of content just talking about this topic. We're going to try and cram it into like 20, 25 minutes. So let's see how this goes. Again, also known as auctions. And if you have not done or played in a format like this before, I highly recommend it. I think it is the best way to play fantasy anything. Fantasy baseball, fantasy football, it does not matter. You can get whatever players you want, get your targets. You're not restricted by where you're drafting in a snake draft. And especially if you could do one in person, get everybody inside of a room, man, there is nothing better uh, than doing a live salary cap draft. One of the first questions we usually receive about this format is how do you distribute your money? We're typically talking about a $260 budget. I feel like 70-30 in favor of hitting is quite common. I've changed it the past couple of years to reflect recent trends, you know, the JBE. So uh, if you're doing 70-30... Frank, come on. (laughs) Acronyms are stupid. No, they're not. They're insider language that newcomers are like, what are they talking about? Government likes to use acronyms. I mean... What's wrong with the government, Scott? We're saving one syllable by saying JBE instead of juice ball year. Just say juice ball year. All right, fair enough. Uh, Scott, we'll start with you. Do you have a typical breakdown of how you like to spend your money in a salary cap draft? No, 
I don't. I've, I've never thought about it in those terms, uh, except when I get asked this question, and I'm like, people think about it in those terms. Um, I just, uh, I just look at the positions I want and the amount I'll probably have to spend at them, and um, and try to make a budget that way, and don't ever calculate. Okay, this percentage on pitching. I'm, I'm curious to see how much I spent on pitching this year, where I was trying to de-emphasize it and get back to get back to more of an old school approach with uh, a, a much higher, like uh, some might say, excessively high percentage of my budget going to hitting. So let me look into that because I think. Apart from the 28 I spent on Sandy Alcantara, I spent no more than $3 on any pitcher. So it can't be that much that I spent in total. Just to put this in perspective, I know the overall hitter-pitcher split in my NL-only labor draft was 67-33 uh, in favor of hitting. I think I wound up at like 62% hitting. That wasn't the plan. I was trying to go 65%, but a few things just didn't work out. Chris, I feel like when we did our live draft last week, I asked you this question. You typically don't come up with a very stringent plan, right? You like to, you have an idea of players that you want, but what is that idea usually? Is it just, hey, I have a few main targets, or do you think about like each position and you try to find players at that position? What do you think? Well, I would say that work is mostly done months ago when I come up with my auction values and and or my salary cap values. Like that... That work, it comes in terms of when I'm valuing players themselves, valuing them, valuing them relative to the other players at their positions, valuing them to the, the pool as a whole. Once I'm actually drafting it, I don't, I'm not like, Ooh, this is I've spent 36% of my budget on pitchers. I have to stop. Like, it's not, it's not really that way. It depends on how the draft is going, who, where the values are. Um, and, you know, even sometimes like just, what I've drafted so far and, and how that'll impact it. So the, no, I'm not really too worried about, uh, you know, spending X percentage of my budget on one position versus the other. Now I spent 80, 20 on oh, the 12 team Roto salary cap draft, 80% to hitting 20% to pitching. Almost. Yeah, where, I'm trying to find it. Was that the head to head auction league? It was Memorial no. magazine. Uh, okay. For some reason, the results aren't showing up for me there. I don't think there's a right answer to this question either because I've talked to really great and smart players who have said, you know, I kind of have an idea going in, but I'm just going to take the values where they fall and I'll kind of figure it out on the fly kind of thing. Uh, I am the opposite and maybe that's to my detriment, but I will try to have three options at a similar price range at each p- position. Yeah, uh, and that's, that's what I do. That That's my the, the extent of my planning too because you can't, Unless it's a really high-end type that you know uh, you're willing to break the bank for, you're really willing to go beyond projected values by 3 or $4. And if I know that, I'm usually just going to plan for going over the budget, 3 or $4, you know. You can't zero in on one player unless it's that class of player because you just have no idea what the rest of the room is going to do and you have no idea if it's going to be a reasonable amount amount particularly if it's a buzzable player like a really buzzy player that everybody's excited about you're probably going to underestimate how much he goes for and uh, so you need to have like you said frank two or three players two or three options in that same price range and it's just like it also kind of depends on what 
time of the draft a player gets thrown out at. Sometimes a $25 player goes for 30 because he got thrown out early. Sometimes a $25 player goes for 18 because he got thrown out late. So, you know, it also, like I, I looked it up, I spent 73% of my budget on hitters, 27% on pitchers. That feels fine to me, but it, I, it could have very easily gone the other way because there was definitely a second pitcher. I had Justin Verlander for 27. My next highest was 13 uh, with, I think, Robbie Ray. I, there was definitely another starting pitcher in the higher end that I was looking at who I was involved with the bet, bidding until the end. And <coughs> my ratio could have been a lot different in that instance. Yeah. So, you know, I try not to go in with a plan just because I know myself and I know that like when I want something like here's an example in, in real life, I decided to build a computer a couple of years ago and I decided on Tuesday cause I couldn't find a PS five available anywhere to buy. So I was like, screw it. I'm going to build a computer. I'm just gonna spend twice as much money on building a computer, total impulse decision. Okay. And I was like, I'm going to do this right now. And my wife had to be like, no, it's okay. You can wait until Friday when you're off work. You don't, and it's, that's, that's why I, if I want something, I, I tend to be impulsive and I tend to fixate on it. And so I, I, I try not to come up with a rigid plan because I don't want to, to hyper fixate on X players and end up kind of forgetting about the rest of the player pool when there's, you know, always going to be good values to be found at a, in a, in a salary cap draft. I wasn't expecting today's podcast to become philosophical, but I, I think there's something to that, Chris. It's it's knowing yourself, too. I mean, yeah, there's psychology to it. Yeah. You, guys, you guys see this run like every day, this rundown. I go pretty crazy on it because, you know, I like things to be organized, organized. I like to have a plan. I like to know where things are going. And that's exactly and, how I plan out my salary cap. And I'm soon. just a disaster. No, I wouldn't say that. Come on, Chris. Uh, just getting back. To, I'm saying it. Just getting back to the point I was making before about the three similar players, uh, three players in a similar price range. I think it's especially important in Roto to find three players that have similar skill sets because, for me, it's just easier to track my stats if I find players with similar skill sets. For example, in my NL only labor draft, I had Reese Hoskins, Christian Walker, Rowdy Telez written down for first base, eighteen to twenty dollars. I think all those players are going to be relatively similar. They're going to hit around, you know, 240 to 250, 30-plus home runs. So that's what I like to do, and I'll do that for each individual position uh, in my mm -hmm. draft. But I think it's also knowing your format, too, because mm -hmm. in Tout Wars, this Sunday, it's a live salary cap draft, 12-team head-to-head points league. Typically, those are shallower formats. It's roto-style lineups. So what I've done the past two years... I don't really spend more than 30 or $35 on any player. I live in the mid-tier because guys like Corey Seager or Bregman, I know that they go for cheaper in this league, and they're really good standouts in that format. So I think, again, yeah. knowing your format as well, Scott, I mean, you went stars and scrubs in our most previous draft, but if it was a deeper league, you might have shopped in the mid-tier more, something like you've, you've done in an AL or NL-only league. Yeah, and, and those are obviously opposite extremes. So the one you're talking about, a 15-team league with the standard Roto lineups, that's that's on the deeper end of the pool. It's not so insanely deep that I think you have to um, have to really check the the impulse to buy a high-end player. But but as a general rule, the scarcer your waiver wire is going to be, so the deeper your league is, the scarcer the waiver wire is going to be, 
the more you need to ensure yourself production at every spot. And that means that that's the opposite of stars and scrubs. That's, that's a scrub in that league risks being a black hole in your lineup situation. Right. And, and, and that's the quickest way to lose. So in order to ensure that your worst players aren't just zeros, you have to spread your dollars a little more evenly. But that probably doesn't go for the majority of the audience because the majority of the audience doesn't even play in anything as deep as a 15-teamer. Right. I would say that 12 teams or fewer, like the Memorial Magazine League, the one we've been referencing, uh, which isn't even as shallow as it gets. I mean, we still have 360 players rostered in this league. But it's shallow enough that I do prefer to go the Stars and Scrubs route where I, for instance, uh, you know, I bought Aaron Judge for 48. I had Nolan Arenado, Jose Altuve, Corey Seager, Sandy Alcantara, Cedric Mullins. And then as I talked about, I had a bunch of two, three dollar pitchers and several two, three dollar hitters as well. Those are the the scrubs, obviously, to pair with those studs. And the key to the stars and scrubs approach is that your scrubs presumably aren't actually going to be scrubs they're going to be players who you think have a lot of upside uh who you think maybe just slipped through the cracks and went for less than they should it's basically stars and sleepers scott kind of yeah Yeah, it kind of is and and the key to the the key being with okay you need to have you need to be able to rely on the waiver wire some is because all of those sleepers aren't going to work out you're going to have um you're going to need to cycle through a few options at some of those positions probably before you land on the right ones but in the you have this really sturdy foundation of studs who you know if, if if you can just fill in the rest of your roster with players who are pretty good the overall th- outcome uh you know the bottom line is going to end up better than than somebody who distributed his dollars more evenly so you you, you have to know your style of play to do that you have to know how aggressive you plan to be on the waiver wire how good you are at um picking out sleepers and how well, how good you are at controlling impulses during the draft. Cause you noticed I said the scrubs were two and $3 players. I didn't say they were $1 players. I, I think the biggest key to this strategy is you have to know when you've spent all you can afford to spend and are only willing to go two $3 on anybody who gets nominated at that point. Because if you, if you, end up blowing out your budget and are left with a bunch of roster spots to fill for $1 each, you're in big trouble because you can only win players you yourself nominate at that point. You can't jump in on anybody else's nominations. And any so you get your 1 in 12 chance to nominate unless it slips through without anybody else nominating and you're, you don't get them and you just have to wait that long again to nominate somebody else and and chances are all the good players all the good sleepers you were targeting um and yeah and you're not gonna get that's any what happened for me in the the draft and you know you talk about discipline and Impulse i ended control, up yeah pushing nick castellanos to six dollars and that's like i'm fine if i get nick castellanos for say i think it was six dollars but that was my max bid at that time so once i had him I was, yeah, it was $6 and I was down to just dollar bids. And it's like, you know, I ended up with some decent ones. Trevor Rogers, Anthony Rendon, uh, Josiah Gray, Kaber Rees. Like there, there's some 
interesting players there, but the bottom half of my roster, you know, the gap between a $3 outfielder I probably could have gotten and Nick Castellanos and then the $2 players I could have gotten instead of Dylan Floro are, you know, there's probably some room there that I, I wish I would have navigated a little better, which is why, again, I, I, I struggle with the impulse control. Yeah. So that that's, you know, that that's a that's a limitation of myself that I know that I have to be super conscious of in my salary cap drafts, especially early on, because I have a tendency to just be like, I'm going to be on every player. And mm-hmm. I have definitely found myself sitting there for two hours with nothing to do because I spent one hundred and eighty dollars on three players. You know? <laughs> what about the nomination <laughs> process? And, and this can go a many different directions. I think a lot of people, Scott, will typically nominate players they don't want to get money off the table, but you have to be careful with that because say the player that you do want winds up being the last player in that tier. You're like, ah, I don't really want Manny Machado. I don't want Rafael Devers. I really want Austin Riley. So you nominate those other two, you get money off the table. There's a chance Austin Riley could go for more money than those Mm -hmm. guys because everybody else in the room also knows, all right, this is the last elite tier third baseman. I got to spend up to make sure I get him. So it's it's a fine line. Yeah. Well, that that could be how it played out, plays out, or it could be how it played out in the Memorial Magazine League, where I took Arenado, Nolan Arenado, for thirty two dollars because no, because I knew it was only Austin Riley left, and then <laughs> Riley went for thirty two dollars himself. Mm-hmm. Right. So that yeah, was I mean, frustrating. Like, and then you, you'll see stuff like I'm, I'm looking at a five pick or a four pick stretch from the the draft last week where Trey Turner went for forty three. Okay, he's a top five player. Juan Soto, whose consensus ranked lower than Trey Turner, went for 45. And then Mookie Betts, who consensus is right with Juan Soto, went for 42. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's also like it can tend to be all over the place. And I think Mookie was kind of the last player in the tier. Kyle Tucker was still out there. He went for 38. So I think that's probably the best value among those high-end outfielders. But it's also, you know sort of hard to uh to predict and i'm looking at edwin for 22 right after that to get back to your point about uh who you should nominate when frank uh i found that in the earliest stages when there there's kind of a player or two or three that my whole strategy depends on I just go ahead and nominate them because I need to know if it's realistic. I'm going to get them at the price I want to get them for because if I can't, then I need to have something else to pivot to. And Mm -hmm. if that player's nomination is delayed to the point that all the comparable talents are gone by the time he's nominated, it's like I got nothing else to spend this big wad of cash on. And I wish I had known that when other players I liked were, were being bid on, you know, there's there's value and cost certainty. Yeah. So I tend to nominate players and and this, it's not universal, but I tend to nominate players I want early and then players I don't want thereafter. Certainly when I get to the point where I've spent the majority of my money and I'm just looking to hop in for two or $3 on other people's nominations, when they nominate for one, I jump in two or three right away. Um, certainly once I'm at that point, I'm nominating players. I, and these are kind of, you know, lower end players that I'm nominating, but that's when I nominate players I don't want for a dollar, but specifically it's players I don't want who I could live with getting for a dollar players. You don't want their low end. 
players you don't want for $2. Right, exactly. Players I could accept for $1, but I wouldn't want to spend more than a dollar on them. And I hope somebody else bids two or three and, and I can actually get a player I really do want instead. That's usually when I'm nominating players I don't want. I think there's a big strategy when it comes to bidding as well. And we talked about this mm-hmm. live while we were doing the draft where I will change it up. There'll be times where I'm super aggressive. As soon as someone else bids, I'll bid right away again. Or if a player is slowing down, I'll wait going once, going twice. All right, I'll go back in. Just to kind of throw people off and make them think like, all right, maybe I'm, this is the last, you know, dollar that I'm willing to go. And just throw somebody off like that. You, They think that they want them. So there's definitely psychology involved in mm-hmm. bidding like that. And uh, so I think changing up your cadence is, is something I like to do. And if you ever do a live salary cap draft, if you have a player price at a certain point, for example, I keep going back to this because it's still so fresh in my mind, NL only labor. I had Lindor priced at $30. I was back and forth with, I think it was Ron Chandler, 26, 27. He goes 28. I jump right away to 30. As soon as he says 28, I say 30 because I know that I'm willing to go 30. And if it's a strict room, they're probably going to freeze on that jump bid. So it's something that I like to do as well. Uh, Chris, any other things that come to your mind when it comes to uh, bidding strategy? Yeah, I mean, no, that's, it's like, I also understand that I tend to get really frustrated <laughs> when people do the last second bid to me because I, you know, I, I get impatient and I get frustrated and I think I've got the guy and I start celebrating. I, you know, write him down and then it, I don't have it. And I have a bad tendency when someone does that to just immediately hit the bid button again. And I've gotten messed up and ended up paying $4 more than I wanted for a player that way. And it's, that's also part of why I try not to have a set group of players that I have to have, because I also know that I'll get caught up in that regard as well. So it's salary cap drafts are tough for me. Like just like on a (laughs) psychological level, it's, it's exhausting just beyond the fact that they're four hours long, which you have to, prepare yourself for but it's also like you know you have to know your your weaknesses and strengths as a player you have to know how your league tends to go because you know if you've been playing with the same group of people for 10 years there are going to be things that everyone knows about everyone else there's gonna you know there's there's always the guy who likes the best players from four years ago you know that that's just a guy in every fantasy league and then there's there's gonna be the person who's obsessed with sleepers and will pay up for every breakout. And so, and yeah. you know, I, I used to play in an NL, NL only league with like, it was me and Heath and a bunch of Cardinals fans. And so you just, every Cardinals player went for way more than they should have. <laughs> and my, one of my fantasy football leagues were all from Miami dolphins players go for way more than they should. So it's like, you know, that we can talk strategy and we can talk general strategy, but a lot of it, especially more so than in any other type of draft comes down to the people in your league and knowing their tendencies and what they, you know, what they tend to go for and how aggressive they tend to be. Like that's, that's all stuff that you have to keep in mind. Like, you know, I, I think it's, it's a uh, beat on every time we, we do a, a salary cap draft with him, he's going to try to get two of the first two or three of the first round guys. He just does that every time. And it's uh, you know, that's one of the things you, you start to notice trends with people when you draft with them. It, it's interesting talking about how it affects you psychology, uh, psychologically and just, you know, being in touch with your own um, 
the the way your emotions are going to play out over the course of those four hours because like it's it's exhausting for me yeah. too. I mean, there will come a point in every single salary cap draft where I Scrub. hate this whole process. <laughs> I think I think the world is ending because um, I either either. I couldn't bring myself to bid a dollar more on a player who I hadn't really planned for, but the price was just so good. And so I'm like, I don't know. And I don't bid on him or I do bid on him and win him. And it's like, crap, now what do I do? My plan is falling apart. I didn't budget for this. And there's always a moment like that. And I, I think the key for me in those moments, so, so like it's, it, 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 it's different. Like the way, the way, like you have trouble controlling your impulses, Chris and, and me, it's like when it doesn't go according to plan, how do I improvise? You know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's where it gets stressful for me. And it never goes exactly according to plan. It never, I've never had a salary cap draft where I've perfectly allocated all of my dollars for maximum efficiency, you know, and, and I never will because there's no way to anticipate how every player who's nominated is, is, is going to play out, you know? So you could, you can always look back and like the example I gave earlier, Oh, I went 32 on Arenado and I could have had Riley for that amount. Well, you just don't know. I mean, Manny Machado and Rafael Devers both went for near 40 before that Arenado did happen. And so it was reasonable to anticipate Riley would go for the same amount. And it just didn't work. And you just never know. And you can never know. And you can't beat yourself up over that. You have to, at least if you um, are wired more like me, you have to have, you, you need to have like, you need to be able to compartmentalize. You need to kind of have tunnel vision and not worry so much about what could have been if you had done X or Y differently. Yeah, no, I think that's very well said. Again, salary cap drafts, I love them. There's a lot of strategy that goes into these types of, in, into this format, and everyone is different. You can't just say, oh, mm-hmm. well, this player went for this much in this draft. Corbin Carroll went for $25. That means I should expect to spend 25 Maybe you'll get him for 18 Maybe you'll get him for 20 uh, That's why it's really hard to put out salary cap values, too, because, again, just every draft is so, so different. Uh, this we- is this is like therapy. Like, Scott, do you want to go sit on the lay on the couch? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're working through some stuff here. Yeah, I'm sure you could just take that microphone and slide on over to the couch over there, Scott. Plug it in and just talk away while you're laying down. Yeah, I could. Just kick back. Yeah, why not? Get it all off my chest. Anywho, uh, there are some other things that we want to get to. Again, I, I think we could do an entire week's worth of content just on salary cap drafts. But let's take our final break here, and we'll be back on Fantasy Baseball today. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. If you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. 
Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Before I get into some news and notes, we have a really fun announcement. I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but don't worry. I'll mention it in a future podcast as well. Fantasy Baseball Today is a finalist in the baseball category for the Sports Podcast Awards. It's an awesome thing to be a part of. We're, we're obviously stoked to be a part of it. We're going up against some big names, and it is a voting system, which means that we need your help. You can scan the QR code in the top right corner if you're watching on video or find the link in the podcast or YouTube description. You'll need to quickly create an account on their site, which I know it's annoying. I'm sorry. It takes less than a minute. Uh, I did it myself. And then vote for Fantasy Baseball Today. Voting ends April 6th, and we appreciate your help. Some news and notes. Jose Quintana will indeed be out until at least July with a stress fracture in his rib cage. David Peterson threw four no-hit innings with five strikeouts on Tuesday. His slider velocity was up almost three miles per hour. And that comes one or two days after Tyler McGill had an awesome start. Do you guys have a lean here? Because, frankly, whoever wins that job between Peterson or McGill could have decent sleeper value for fantasy. Yeah, I I tend to lean McGill. Um, I think he's shown a little more upside, but... I think both of them are are interesting, you know, late round flyer types. And, you know, we've still got two weeks of spring training left, so there might be room for both of them. You know how these things go. We don't know how Kodai Senga, you know, he's it seems like a, a minor issue with the finger, but it could be delayed. So, you know, it's I, I say keep both of them on your radar, but I would lean McHill. Brewers manager Craig Council said the team will, quote, go slow in working Garrett Mitchell back from his right hamstring injury. The team is apparently aiming for March 21st as a return date, which if he returns next week, I think he'll still be good for opening day. But we'll see with Garrett Mitchell. Andres Munoz is set to make his spring debut on Friday. He was delayed due to offseason foot surgery, but looks like he should be good to go. Tigers beat writer. Apologies if you're listening. I'm going to butcher this name. Cody Stavengagen? That's what we'll go with. Believes Alex Lang is the most likely closer candidate to begin the season, which we suspected, but it's nice to read it from a beat writer as well. Kyle Finnegan was told early in spring that he could be used in more of a fireman role rather than being limited to the ninth inning. Hunter Harvey and Alex Calame were mentioned by Bobby Blanco of Masson as two names that could see save chances. Scott are you buying this with the Nationals bullpen? I mean, I, I I think Finnegan's still the guy to have. Usually the one in that fireman role still gets the majority yeah. of the save chances. It's just that he doesn't he isn't always preserved for the ninth. But it's it's uh it's not what you want to hear, particularly coming from a team that isn't going to have that many save chances to begin with. And I wasn't really counting on Finnegan as a late round option for saves. I like somebody like uh, Lang, Alex Lang Moore, for instance. I always want to say Andrew Lang. Remember Andrew Lang? Spelled the name differently, Lang, but... All right, center from the early 90s. Anyway. I, I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were still in diapers then, weren't you? Early 90s, probably. Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. Uh, a couple of news items here. Brian De La Cruz could be squeezed off the opening day roster. Wow, how things have changed. Um, 
It's not great. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is just Jesus Sanchez doesn't have options. And he's having a really good spring for what it's worth. He's run a, a lot. I think he has three steals. Um, so, you know, we could do the Jesus Sanchez sleeper thing one more time, Frank. Hey, I got him in the Scott White Dynasty League, so you know I'm on board with Jesus Sanchez. Of course, the, Mar- the Marlins recently signed Yuli Gurriel and Jose Iglesias, so that's uh, part of the reason they have this roster crunch as of now. Justin Turner is scheduled to take batting practice Friday. He was hit in the face with a pitch last weekend and required 16 stitches as a result. Jose Trevino said Wednesday that he's dealing with some inflammation in his sprained right wrist, but is very confident he'll be available for opening day. Mark Melanson is likely to open the regular season on the IL due to a right shoulder injury. All right, one of, you know, seven different saves possibilities for the Arizona Diamondbacks. So uh, it's one less name we have to worry about. Performances worth mentioning recently. Lars Newbar in the WBC, 6 for 14 with two steals playing for Japan. I'm starting to wonder, will he run a little bit this year? 74th percentile in sprint speed last yeah. season. That's pretty exciting for uh, for Lars Newbar. Garrett Whitlock made his spring debut, two hitless relief innings, three strikeouts to one walk. Anthony Volpe, Scott, you mentioned the game that he had reached base three times, another stolen base, a run, an RBI, was the leadoff hitter on Wednesday. If he makes the team and he's playing shortstop, there's a non-zero chance that Volpe is leading off for the Yankees, which is crazy to think yeah, about. I mean, it would make a lot of sense looking at his skill set he uh, he draws walks at a high rate. I think most of the time I've seen him in the lineup for the Yankees, it's been in the leadoff spot this spring. He, you know, he had 50 steals in the minors last year. I don't know why this hasn't been something that's phased out. It's it's like an old school thing that's remained where, okay, we need our leadoff hitter to be a base stealer. I feel like base stealers should bat behind the power hitters because that's the stretch of the lineup where you're going to need to manufacture runs. Like you're batting him in front of the power hitters, then what's the incentive to run? You just might run into an out, and I don't know. I I feel like that needs to change, but I, there doesn't seem to be much momentum for it. So yeah, the fact that Volpe steals a lot of bases helps his chances of batting leadoff. And lastly, Justin Verlander threw five one-hit innings with eight strikeouts to just one walk, twelve swinging strikes on seventy-one pitches. He was going up against a uh, WBC depleted Cardinals team, but. The guy looks like he's in midseason form. I think Justin Verlander is going to be just fine. ADP risers and fallers in March. So how did I put this together? Using Rotowire Online Championship ADP, that's over at the NFBC. It's a certain format that they have. They are 12-team Roto Leagues with waiver wires. So this is probably the most common, you know, format, at least comparatively to what other people are playing, that is available over at the NFBC. So it's comparing February to the first two weeks of March and seeing who has moved up, who has moved down. And we'll start with the biggest risers in the top 100. Corbin Carroll, no surprise. He's up 16 spots from 69 to 52. Uh, Salvador Perez is up to pick 66. He's slowly been rising. Andres Jimenez, I don't really know why or if I believe this one. I mean, I guess it's happening, but he's moved up about eight spots to pick 77. Uh, Kenley Jansen, I feel like I've seen him slip more as well. Uh, O'Neill Cruz, I think that name makes sense. He's up to pick 60. So I think a lot of the times we see O'Neill Cruz go in the fifth round of a 12-team league. Chris, are there any names or prices here that seem prohibitive for you? I know during yesterday's draft, you said, look, if Corbin Carroll is going to be a fourth or even fifth round pick, I'm just probably not going to wind up with him. 
Yeah, like I, I think there's a lot to like about him. I have him ranked 64th, so I'm certainly not out on Corbin Carroll even at this price, but it certainly probably means that more often than not, and I would say much more often than not, I'm not going to draft Cor- Corbin Carroll. And hey, that's you're only one of 12 people. Only one of them can get Corbin Carroll in any given draft, so that's not really saying much. But yeah, there are probably not going to be many situations where Corbin Carroll is currently the top player on my queue as my pick is up. It's going to be someone else. That's a little bit frustrating. There will probably be a point where I have to reach for Corbin Carroll to make sure I get him. The problem is, as we talked about the other day, I think on Monday's show, you can kind of start throwing ADP out once you get about a week away from the from the start of the season. So I'm thinking about like podcast listeners league, for the people league, leagues where by nature, the people playing in these leagues are going to be people who are really into fantasy baseball. I mean, Carmen Carroll might go in like the third round in some of think, those leagues. I think our last mock draft. I think he went 30 for the show or something, right? Yeah, he, he was in the third round. So like I've, I I have Corbin Carroll, the highest of the three of us for Roto. I'm 56th overall. Uh, and I am I'm to the point where I I would like I, I think if if he I, I think his best case scenario is higher probability than uh, the average rookie. And I think his best case scenario has him putting up at least second round numbers. And um, so I want to reach for him. I'm willing to, but there's always somebody who's willing to reach yep. a little bit more for him. And so I think I've only gotten him in a head-to-head points league so far among among those that were playing out. Uh, that that survey I did on social media on Twitter and Facebook last week, uh, Corbin Carroll. It was actually a tie between Corbin Carroll and O'Neill Cruz for who's who's your must-have player for this year. They were the they got the most two responses, those two. And the thing I would just keep in mind is there's a lot to like about Corbin Carroll. I think he's a really talented player. One, he's still relatively unproven. 115 played appearances at the major league level. Uh, also, he plays in a really tough home park. And so while I really like his skill set and I like his chances of getting there, the home park is an obstacle. It's not a huge obstacle. It's certainly not an insurmountable one, but Chase Field is one of the toughest home parks in baseball since they introduced the, the humidor, especially for power. Remember, they've got the 20-foot yellow line, the, the yellow line 20 feet off the ground in center field. So it's a, it's, it's a little pricey for me, yeah. What about the biggest fallers in the top 100? No surprise with these names. Carlos Rodon, Joe Musgrove, uh, Jordan Alvarez down to 14.6. Scott, are you buying at that cost? That would be an early second round pick. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm still I'm still taking him ahead of Mookie Betts. I, I'm, he's probably, I think he's like my number nine player Same. right now, Jordan Alvarez. And he dropped, I dropped him from seven to nine. But still, yeah, that's... I'm not that worried about the hand, just modest amount of worry. All right, the biggest risers in the 100 to 200 range. Jordan Walker, no surprise. Again, this is from February to the first two weeks of March. He's up 63 spots from 186 to pick 123. Alec Bohm, interesting. A couple of spring training home runs, that'll do it, huh? 16 spots to 183. Vaughn Grissom is up to 159. Jeffrey Springs is up to 153. Chris Sale up exactly around to 124, and I've seen him go even higher. 
uh, in some drafts. It's got a name on here that we haven't really talked about much recently, but Vaughn Grissom, moving up 15 spots to 159, I think this is just people coming to terms with the fact that he's going to be the starting shortstop for the Atlanta Braves, and now that we know that for sure, people are reacting and drafting him like that. Yeah, that's probably it. That's probably it. People seem, if there's any doubts about playing time, especially in an FBC where you don't have um, you don't have any IL spots, so that that makes your bench spots more precious, and uh, it's hard to just stash away prospective options there. Harder to do that. People seem really disinclined to invest in playing time concerns, and so. I never really bought the idea that the Braves let Swanson walk and sign nobody to replace him so that Orlando Arcia could be their starter. That just doesn't seem like the sort of thing a championship caliber club does. So I was always on board with Vaughn Grissom, but uh, I think I think now everybody's coming around to the the reality of that. I like. The and, way- and by the way, just I, I mean the same thing with Miguel Vargas. I know he's not on here. I don't think he is. Is he? Oh, he's on the rundown, Scotty. Don't you worry. Okay, I won't jump ahead then. I, I mean, I don't know if we're going to get to him, but he's moved up to uh, to pick 200 at the NFBC, but in the drafts that we're doing, he's he's still going way before that. So sometimes, yeah, you know, 50 I, I, spots. Just since he returned to swinging a bat, he's gone from, he's now 195th um, when his, uh, you know, total ADP, Miguel Vargas, is more like 250, 37 on NFBC. So that's another situation where I think, again, I was never really doubting he was the Dodgers second baseman. Even when he couldn't swing a bat, they were having him play second base so that he'd be up to speed defensively. But I think just by virtue of, oh, he can't swing a bat, uh, it created this concern where, oh, maybe he doesn't win the job. And now that's going away because he's swinging a bat and swinging it quite well. Four more risers inside of the top 200, Lars Nupar and Riley Green. Expected a lot of people talking about them this time of year. Both are having either good springs or World Baseball Classic performance for Lars Nupar. Uh, Lars is up to 171 and Riley Green is up to 191. Taylor Ward is up nine spots to 106. Uh, we're, uh, I think we're kind of pushing it now with, with Taylor Ward. He's getting up there. Pablo Lopez up nine spots to 172. So, Chris, three names here for sure that I know you like Nupar, Riley Green, Pablo Lopez. Taylor Ward. I wrote him up in Sleepers 1.0 like two months ago because he was going at pick 125. If you move up two rounds of value that early in the draft, it, it actually matters a lot. So I think we're kind of we're, we're pushing limits here on Taylor Ward and the ADP. Yeah, I mean, there, there's it, it sort of depends on what you value, right? Because you, you've got this pretty long track record for a 28-year-old player of him not being particularly good including both the majors and the minors. Now the major league track record before last season, somewhat limited, but still you're talking about about 160 games uh, where he was like a mid 700s OPS bat. And for most of his minor league career, he was also that kind of hitter until, you know, kind of breaking out at 24, 25 in the PCL. So it's, I think there are reasons to like him. I removed him from my bus 2.0 column. If he goes inside the top 100, that's where I start to, you know, definitely get a little a little antsy about the price. I certainly wouldn't be taking him there. He's more like a 125 player for me. So it's more like where he was going before, I think, is fine value. Now, 
I'm not saying I'm avoiding him, but there's always going to be someone who likes him more than I do. Biggest fallers inside of the top 250 expected names, Seiya Suzuki down to 166, Harrison Bader, 225, Adalberto Mondesi, 237, Mitch Hanniger down to 202, Tony Gonsolin at 190, Kyle Wright at 150. This group, I don't fully understand why they're dropping. It could just be the result of other names are moving up. Someone's got to drop, right? They're all injured, Frank. Is that true? Well, no, I'm talking yes. this next group. No, the expected group are all injured, yeah. Yeah. This, so this next group, I was kind of previewing oh. the, the names I was okay, about to mention. Okay, you're previewing. Okay, right. sorry. My bad. All good. Andrew Heaney is down to 213. John Gray down to 215. Javier Baez down to 182. And we saw that in the in the mock draft yesterday, Scott. You got him pretty late. Whit Merrifield down to 198. Oscar Gonzalez, somebody I like quite a bit, down to 206. You see any reason here, Scotty? Uh, so I was looking up where exactly I got Javier Baez because I think it was much later than that. You know, one thing I will say, having having the experience of rooting for Puerto Rico uh, during the World Baseball Classic is like, man, having Javier Baez on a team that you're rooting for really changes the experience of rooting for Javier Baez because I, I mostly like, eh, he kind of gets a bad rap. He's better than Ben's like, oh boy. I, I, I may have cursed him out on a couple swings tonight. <laughs> His swing decisions are bad. Yeah, real, real bad stuff. Um, I would, I think this group: Andrew Heaney, John Gray, Javier Baez, Whit Merrifield, Oscar Gonzalez. So they all. I, I guess the common thread there is just that they haven't given us anything to be excited about mm-hmm. yet. I mean, in like during off-season drafting before spring training started, you could make a case for them all to. Um, to exceed their draft position. So they were kind of preemptive sleepers, I guess. But now like they're not the guys making noise of, of the, Mm -hmm. of the ones we had kind of pre-marked as sleepers. They're not the ones to, um, they're not the ones doing anything to uh, really capture everybody's imagination. So they're kind of just sagging relative to everyone else is, is my guess. I, I don't, I don't know that that's fair. I don't know that, that's a logical enough reason to fade them, but it makes some sense maybe as an explanation. I'll take John Gray and Oscar Gonzalez. So if those guys are falling, sure, I'll, I'll gobble that up. Scott, yesterday you got Javier Baez at pick 192. So not far off, okay. you know, 10 spots yeah, after this ADP, but he is a clear faller right now. Uh, a couple names I'm just going to sh- shuffle through and you guys tell me yay or nay if you're in on the new price tag. Jared Kelnick. At 218, he's moved up about 70 spots compared to February. That's fine. I think it's a relatively low probability bet, but it's fine. Yeah, I agree. There might still be some outfielders I prefer at that point, but there might not. Alex Lang at 192, just inside the uh, top 200. Uh, Boy, it's hard to pull these numbers out of the blue without knowing what others at that position are are there at the same point. So 192 is in between Paul Seawald and Jose Leclerc generally. So that sounds about right for Alex Lang. Sure. Okay. Tristan Casas at 216. It's great. Uh, yeah. I like him more than Kelnick, so I'm going to say I'm on board for that. I've got him at 181. Ezekiel Tovar at 224. I have a feeling, Scott, you're you're... Oh yeah, you're smashing the yep. draft button. I have them more like 164. Yep, so I've like, got them 163. Nice. I think Tovar, as I've said multiple times, is maybe the most undervalued player in drafts this year. Zach Eflin is up to 257. 
I don't understand. Like the fantasy community keeps like doing like Zach Eflin sleeper. And like, I think it's the Tampa Bay Rays too, Chris. What, know, but like, what is, just it give them- his, what is it in his track record that makes us think like, we're 700 innings into his major league career? 413, 397, 417, 404. There's ZRAs over the last four seasons. He's had injury issues. I think he's one of those players who rates out pretty well by like the various stuff metrics. And so maybe that's it. But I just like, mm-hmm. at some point, the results are what they are. And I think like a 29 year old with 700 major league innings, like, probably is what he is. Uh, how about Oscar Colas? It looks like he's getting closer to locking up that starting right field job for the White Sox. He's up to 265, which still sounds too late. It does. I don't know yeah, why I I'm not. Fine. I think I've kind of like gravitated more toward Garrett Mitchell and Jake Fraley lately. And so that's kind of, you can't have them all, you know? So I yeah. keep missing out on Oscar Colas. But Colas has looked great this spring and I probably need to. It's probably need to stop doing that. The hype is growing for Reed Detmers. He's up to 185, but I think for good reason. I am yep. I'm good. I'm good with it. I added him to my breakouts 2.0 that just came out on the site. I think uh you know, the the big thing, I think we mentioned it on yesterday or the day before, but his velocity's up like 2 or 3 miles an hour in in camp so far and we already saw the breakout. I mean, he had a 304 ERA or whatever it was after coming back from the minors last season with an even better FIP. So I, I think there, there's only room to grow. There's a ceiling on how good he can be because they're going to use a six-man rotation and he'll, you know, won't give you two start weeks and, and probably maxes out at like 150 innings, but they could be really, really good innings. I, I think him and Patrick Sandoval are, are both definitely, you know, rising for me. Last name here on the list, Hunter Brown is up to 188 with the injury to Lance McCullers. Though McCullers has started a throwing program, so I don't know. Maybe he's yeah. back uh, at some point in like May or June. I'm, I'm speculating. Scott, what do you think about the price tag, Hunter, Breen, uh, Hunter Brown inside the top 200? <laughs> I kind of think McCullers is going to be back before then for what it's worth. It sounds like a. he was really downplaying the injury the other day. Okay, He, he would have reason to, I understand, but... <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm a little surprised Hunter Brown's climbed this much. He's he's been shaky with the control this spring and that was the big knock on him in the minors. It was surprising that he came up throwing strikes as regularly as he did. A much higher strike percentage than he had in the minors and um you know obviously over a much smaller sample. So that that could rear its ugly head and Brown leaves everybody high and dry and and uh, I, I think it's especially surprising given that obviously we're talking about Roto ADP here. So the the relief pitcher eligibility doesn't even come into play for Brown. I understand him going 188th overall in a points league where you get that advantage of slotting him in the RP spot. But I don't know. There, there are definitely pitchers in that range that I would prefer to Brown. Have you considered that his delivery looks a lot like Justin Verlander's? I had no clue. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big deal. They uh they keep calling a mini mini JV right. I that feel like like twenty percent of the hype around Hunter Brown is just that he kind of looks like Justin Verlander when he pitches. Remember when um who was it Melky Cabrera first got called up for the Tigers? Was that it? Or was no? It was Aviciel Garcia. Sorry, Aviciel Garcia. And oh, Joe looked Buck, like Miguel Cabrera. Joe, Joe Buck said yeah. he might be the next Miguel Cabrera. And oh. then like. <laughs> 
<laughs> Yikes. I mean, he was just doing a natural broadcasting transition. Like Miguel Cabrera probably got, came up to the plate and then. Yeah, they, they, they have very similar body types. Yeah, right. but it, it just kind of like followed him around through the rest of his career, inflating his stock. It was it was a weird a weird moment in time. And now he plays on the Marlins. So now we know why the Marlins gave him that contract. It's all it's full all come circle, it's all clearly. come full circle. We're gonna wrap there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thanks as always for watching and listening fantasy baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye bye. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.